Hi, this is John Olson. Thank you for joining us on the National Security This Week podcast. If you like the show, please subscribe so you'll receive a new edition of the podcast every week. Please leave us a review as well and tell others about us. And please contact us with any feedback or opinions you might have by emailing nstw at kymnradio.net. We hope you find the show informative and interesting. Thanks again. National Security This Week, a weekly look at American national security issues. And now, your host, John Olson. Good morning, everyone. It's Wednesday, and you've joined us for National Security This Week. We get together here on KYMN Radio every Wednesday at 9 a.m. to discuss national security, and we're joined by guests from our local area, from around Minnesota, and from across the nation to help us explore American national security. On this show, we cover a wide range of topics linked to American national security, We routinely talk about the tools of national power, diplomacy, the power of information, military power, and the economic power every nation wields. We also talk about the concepts of hard and soft power and how the tools are used in applications of hard and soft power. Finally, we sometimes cover the importance of something called public diplomacy, or the citizen-to-citizen engagement that happens between citizens of different nations. We have here in the state of Minnesota an organization dedicated to educating Americans about the importance of our foreign affairs professionals. This organization also fosters an understanding of different cultures around the world and seeks to demystify and build friendships among peoples of all nations. The organization I'm talking about is Global Minnesota, and with us today is the head of Global Minnesota, Mark Ritchie. Mr. Mark Ritchie served as Minnesota's Secretary of State from 2007 to 2015. He now serves as President of Global Minnesota, and as Minnesota's civilian aide to the Secretary of the Army. Mark received his Bachelor of Science degree from Iowa State University, earned a master's degree from the Humphrey School of Public Affairs at the University of Minnesota, and attended the National Security Seminar at the United States Army War College in 2012. In the 1980s, Mark served as the International Trade Policy Analyst at Minnesota's Department of Agriculture. He serves as an appointed member of the Federal Election Assistance Commission Advisory Board, and I was a a member of the U.S. Trade Representative's delegation to the World Trade Organization's founding ministerial. Since 2013, he has led the public-private partnership working to bring a World Expo to Minnesota. Mr. Ritchie has served as director on the boards of the Minnesota Historical Society, Minnesota's State Board of Investment, the Minnesota Executive Council, Communicating for Agriculture, and the Overseas Vote Foundation. Mark Ritchie is a life member of the Association of the U.S. Army, a former member of the Senior Advisor Council of the Minnesota National Guard, a life member of the Army War College Foundation, and he serves as board chair of the Military Historical Society of Minnesota. Mark Ritchie, welcome to National Security This Week. Thank you so much for inviting me. It is a pleasure to have you on our show. I'm looking forward to our discussion today. We are on Zoom. Where are you sitting right now? Sitting in my home in Minneapolis. All right, all right. Mark, let's go ahead and get started. Uh, I think my introduction sort of vividly explained that you have led a, a, an extraordinary life of service. Uh, what brought you to Global Minnesota? Uh, can you tell us about that journey and, and why leading Global Minnesota was appealing to you? Yes, it, I had retired as Minnesota Secretary of State, happily retired. And <laughs> um, I was called by uh, a search firm who was looking for names of people that I thought would be appropriate for leading what we used to know of is Minnesota International Center, MIC, 
um, had changed its name, reflecting a more global uh, overall perspective, not just between nations, but global. And I was happily giving them names of, um, you know, particularly young leaders. Uh, Minnesota is very blessed with executives, uh, talent and, and leaders. But I asked a question. I said, well, what does the board want? And I got an answer that was very interesting to me. One was a board uh, uh, desire was a new president for the organization. The, the past president, after 20-some, 24 years, I believe, was retiring. But anyhow, he said um, somebody that would respect what had been accomplished in the first 70 years. So that was quite interesting to me. Trained history teacher, as you can uh, tell from my resume, very active in things related to history. But um, so that was important, respectful of what had been accomplished. But the second was um, the statement that the mission, which is advancing international understanding and engagement, they wanted to put an exclamation point and a circle around the word engagement because. So many of our organizations, our companies, our institutions, our religious institutions, engagement is what especially younger leaders and younger members want. And it's also true in companies. People want to be engaged in the world, making the world a better place, whether it's environment or human rights, you name it. So I thought, well, okay, those are two interesting things. What, anyhow, literally the next morning I was explaining this conversation uh, to my wife, Nancy, and she said, well, did you tell them you were interested? <laughs> it's like, whoa, wait a minute, I'm retired. <laughs> and of course, she knew that those were two things especially important to me, knowing and in respecting and building on the history and thinking about engagement. And so um, I said, no, but I'll think about it. And eventually I said, yes, that's something that I'm interested in. I would be willing to come out of retirement. And um, and then I was part of the process, and I was very fortunate to be uh, asked to come and serve serve as president of Global Minnesota or Minnesota International Center, as I had known it before. And so um, something that I was not as aware of was the full uh, aspect of the history Mm. And so finding out uh, about the original origins, which were, you know, in the year that I was born, actually, 1951, but it was a group of women leaders in our church community who were aware that we had a big new influx of students from overseas, faculty also, often with their families, and that sometimes that didn't go so well around the country. And they wanted to make sure that Minnesota was a welcoming place and a supportive place because they knew, and this was said in their newsletters and in their speeches, that these young leaders coming to University of Minnesota or McAllister or Dunwoody, they would go home and become leaders in their nations. And so if they remembered Minnesota as a welcoming place, if they were appreciative of what that experience had been, that would make them a very, very important potential ally for the United States and for Minnesota. And so once I understood that the birth of the organization had to do with that kind of welcoming with an eye towards the way that welcoming created relationships, I was sold. And somebody showed me the very first flyer and it said, they've arrived as strangers. May they leave as friends. 
And this summed up for me that original awareness of the organization um, that is, you know, it's grown. It does many different things now, but that uh, birth, that original value, that original mission uh, was something that hooked me. And I've been uh, thrilled to be part of building on that legacy ever since. You know, you just taught me something about Global Minnesota. I've done, I've been a, a speaker for some of the great decisions uh, topics over the years, and <laughs> I, I did not know that that's that's what yeah. got Global Minnesota yeah. started. <laughs> well, and and very interestingly, in their speeches, they reference a very specific article in uh, Church Women Magazine, January edition of Church Women Magazine, which was written by person who was at that moment the chair of the national organization that really coordinated foreign students coming in hmm. who happened to have been a Minnesotan from our YMCA at the university. But anyhow, he was recounting a really heart rendering, terrible story of a racial incident in Cincinnati that uh, was directed at a student coming from South Africa. And so they were very clear that they could see and read about in their church women magazine certain things that they just did not want to be happening in Minnesota. And so they were organized to get, and that is to me a very Minnesota quality, which yeah. is organized kindness. Yeah. And that is uh, whether you're talking about Mayo Clinic or, or Sanford Health, which actually uses organized kindness to describe their origins or these church women or whatever it is um, at the personal level. If a farmer is, gets a broken leg, People get organized to help out or somebody is getting cancer treatment. There's a meal train to help them get by or whatever it is. Uh, we're, we're believers in organized kindness and Global Minnesota is one of the expressions of that value or that approach, organized kindness. Yeah. Uh, Mark, can you tell us about Global Minnesota specifically? It's a 501c3 not-for-profit uh, but yes. can you tell us a little bit more about the specific yes. mission, the people who serve there, uh, that kind of yes. thing? In in the beginning, it was uh, just association, uh, you know, kind of informal association. But the uh, close tie to the students led to a very close tie to the University of Minnesota. Okay. And so it evolved into University of Minnesota Center for uh, Minnesota International Center, and by 1953, then, it was a decision to create a separate, independent, as you called it, a 501c3 tax-exempt charitable educational organization, which took the name Minnesota International Center and was very closely tied and actually was in a house on campus that was called International House. And there's many, many years, 70 years of stories. Um, so over the years, it grew from being a welcoming organization uh, to a new set of, I would say, programs, which still define it today, in um, the mid-1950s, so just a couple years after being founded, the State Department of the United States government asked, at that time, Minnesota International Center to become the official organizer and welcoming place for international visitors, not students, but the professional mid-career the, the U.S. Uh, federal government through the State Department invites about 5,000 people a year to come to learn more about the U.S. And we uh, typically, um, Global Minnesota, would host 
between four and 500 of those. And so that started in the mid 50s. And in that time, there began to be the evolution of the idea of public education. Um, and so you have been part of a great decisions program. That's actually um, a national program. It's about 100 years old from the Foreign Policy Association based in New York City. But they make that set of great decision questions or topics a national focus each year. Global Minnesota is their partner in the state. I think maybe our state has the most global uh, great decisions discussion group, but they're everywhere. They're in churches, they're in libraries, they're in people's homes, they're in schools. And um, so the evolution of that work then created an organization that's about 15 staff. Um, our international house got leveled to for put up a parking lot and it, we were able to move to another um, University of Minnesota building where we rent space um, uh, on the other side of the campus over um, on University Avenue on the backside. And um, we have evolved in that time through, I would say, a couple uh, iterations. I mentioned that in the beginning, it was the belief that students were arriving from overseas as strangers and we were hoping that our warm welcome and our support would have them leaving as friends. In about the 10th or 12th year, there was a new brochure, and it says, if you are a member of Minnesota International Center, wherever you go on the world, you'll find a friend. So this was an evolution. I said, oh, yes, this is a friendly thing to do, welcoming people, but they're out there in the world. And, you know, World War II was over. People were beginning to travel some. Students were going from the United States to other countries, high school, but especially college. And so that evolution began to change Global Minnesota into an organization whose members could benefit from being connected to the world, these education. We did uh, trips to Kenya and Uganda and, you know, you know, various places, China, overseas. But we also began to attract high-level foreign policy presentations, whether it's, uh, you know, UN ambassador or heads of state or you name it. And so we began to be the place that did the two sort of major activities that people think about in terms of World Affairs Council. One is welcoming and hosting the various visitors that are here. Mandela Fellows and Fulbright Fellows and, you know, you name it, and being engaged in the national debate through information sharing on foreign policy matters. And so um, whether it's a great decisions discussion group or something like we have our, our global conversations where we're uh, featuring journalists, uh, heads of state, uh, uh, our own board chair, Ambassador Ross Wilson was the ambassador uh, serving in the role of ambassador at the U.S. Embassy in Kabul. Um, I believe the title might have been charged affairs in that instance. Yeah. But anyhow, for the last two, uh, two, around two years up to the last plane of the last day. And so he and his wife um, um, Margo. Uh, were in that final moment. Uh, she was a uh, foreign service officer in charge of education and cultural programs. 
had come home a month before. But those kinds of members and active group uh, participants come with certain foreign policy experience sometimes. And so we have the practice of both sharing inside the organization, the various life experiences that different people have, um, work experiences, educational experiences, and bringing the outside. And really what's been transformative is to have Zoom technology, which makes it possible (laughs) for the whole world to come watch and to attract um, the head of World Health Organization, the head of you that, I mean, you name it, if you can handle the time zones, Global Minnesota can invite nearly any person on the planet, literally, to participate in a discussion or make a presentation, and they can be observed you know, in real time, as we say, uh, by anybody. Sometimes we'll have 67 countries represented watching our events, a couple thousand people, and it can be archived, and then somebody can watch it anytime, day or night. Ten years later, um, our current U.S. ambassador, uh, Linda Greenfield-Thomas, was uh, well, she was on the board for many years of our what we used to call American Refugee Committee, now called Alight. When she would come out for their board meetings, we would double um, double dip and get her to do uh, presentations <laughs> and public events. So, with digital technology, our mission of advancing understanding can go deeper and wider. And of course, understanding can be both a kind of, let's say, technical understanding or understanding, which is inside the heart. So empathy. So we we try to make sure we're getting both parts of understanding. But advancing engagement also becomes possible because people can see information, see different approaches to engagement. Maybe they want to travel. Maybe they want to be um, a student overseas. Maybe there's a work experience or some kind of mission connected to a religious organization or to a secular organization. So we've found in this COVID period that we can be truly global and this is something that was very important to me. We can truly reach all of Minnesota uh-huh. because, in fact, when you're heavily based in the Twin Cities, you can reach a lot of people, relatively speaking. But if it's a global Minnesota, you want to reach all the corners of the state. And I would say it was an advantage to me that having been an elected statewide public office, and having a mission inside the Office of Secretary of State of serving every county, every clerk, every township, that my mindset has been, how can we do that? And COVID sort of accelerated the possibility of that. And Global Minnesota, I think, is, has done a really excellent job of taking advantage. We have a long, lot of, long ways to go. We've got digital divide in our cities, and we've yeah. got parts of our room so we got work to do so mark very quickly so for the rest of the show maybe uh, uh our our listeners could uh, could tap into this what what is global minnesota's website www.globalminnesota.org okay uh for our audience you're listening to kymn radio am 1080 and fm 95.1 this is national security this week and i'm your host john olson our guest today is mark ritchie president of the minneapolis-based nonprofit global minnesota which educates citizens on the importance of foreign affairs
So, Mark, I know we're not when we're leaders, we're not supposed to have favorites when we lead an organization, <laughs> but I also know that we do have favorites. Uh, what is it about the work at Global Minnesota that you most enjoy? Are there any specific programs or programming series that you really look forward to on a regular basis, something that reaches the core of who you are as a public servant? Well, I think it's, it's maybe something that crosses all of those, which is connecting folks that are here with folks that are someplace else who are doing the same thing or have the same passion. Or, and this was really fun in the past week, we might have two completely different groups here, and all of a sudden we go, oh, they should know each other. For example, in right now in Minnesota, uh, when we're recording this today, there's 25 Mandela fellows, leaders, young leaders from all over Africa, and about 16 of the same young leaders from all over Latin America who are actually interning and working inside of Minnesota companies. They had not met each other, but at our Global Minnesota Gala, a few were there enjoying that and then meeting. And then we go, oh, wait a minute. Let's invite everybody. We did this over to my backyard and have them all meet. And boom, when that happened, then you could see like the multiplier of connections mm. unfolding. So for me, it's that connection part, no matter what the program is and all that is um, when one plus one equals a lot more than two, that's when I know that connections have served that purpose of relationship deepening. That's the part that I'm, that I'm the most favored about. Yeah. Uh, in your time as uh, president of Global Minnesota, which programs have you participated in that really impacted your own personal view of the world? Anything specific come to mind? A couple of examples would be fine. Yes. Um, well, for example, uh, our good friends up at St. John's University, we, we, we collaborate on a lot of things. And so they had invited um, Madiba Mandela, a grandson of Nelson Mandela, to uh, be a uh, adjunct professor for a period of time to teach a class on conflict resolution and civil society. And so we organized a special uh, event down at the Humphrey School, another one of our big partners. Of course, I'm an alumni, et cetera. And, um, and we had our new dean, Dean Botchway. And so when, when um, uh, Madiba Mandela uh, began to speak, he was very appreciative of this you know, quite elaborate, wonderful introduction. But he said this thing that really blew my mind. He said, that's an introduction that talks about sort of how things are from sort of the colonial era. But I want to introduce myself by going back, back, back to my ancestors from this village who did this. And over these lifetime of ancestors, this is who I have become. And it was mind altering about the notion of, um, you know, somebody being famous because they were somebody's, you know, grandfather, grandson. Okay, that's interesting. But no, no, what's interesting to him is the lineage and ancestry deeply that brings us to the society that we live in and who we are. And so that kind of thing, an insight, he was, and he's 29, a young man, very, very wise young man, but in that kind of insight, that then altered how I thought about how we describe ourselves in the context of society. And in fact, I talked about this. I was just home. My home state is Georgia. 
and I was home for my family's 100th family reunion. A family reunion every year, <laughs> except for not for COVID. Yeah. But, yeah. you know, I was able to talk to them about, yeah, it's, um, it's the accumulation over generations of values, experiences, of culture that then help define who we are. And so for me, it was, you know, I got a lot of cousins. They got kids and they got kids and there was 100 feet of food, you know, and we were reflecting on um, the 100 years, basically since 1920, uh, how we've all kind of interwoven together and, and held each other in times of crisis or deep sorrow or, or celebration. And so I learned from young Mandiba Mandela a perspective that then when I was with my family for their, you know, our 100th family reunion, it changed how I related to all of these cousins and, and family in that way. Any other uh, programs at uh, Global Minnesota that have really impacted you? And well, so ways? you know, some of the the very very first ones that we did when um, COVID hit, we were scrambling, and um, you know, you know, we're a people to people organization. I mean, I, I, I remember. I mean, people want to see each other. Great decision, right? <clears throat> but we began to see that. Um, having <clears throat> being forced into approaching this through, let's say, a new technology, that we could, in fact, take the rhetoric of wanting more diversity in audience, in programming, in presentations, etc., and we could actually do something about it. We could be self-conscious about it, and so began to then get the sort of feedback loop from people like, hey. This is more diverse. This is more inclusive. This has got other points of view. And then we saw, yeah, we can be reaching out across borders overseas. And so when we began to have the head of UNESCO and the head of UNICEF and the head of the international, when they began saying, yes, I will come and speak at your, um, you know, let's say World Food Day or World Health Day, it began to then change our thinking so that these institutions began to be perceived as partners, not as sort of big institutions over there. No, they began to be partners in our backyard. And I think that has helped me to be, I would say, more creative in thinking, thinking about engagement. And so now with COVID hit and, um, you know, we needed to be thinking quite global about everything, uh, it, it, I think it made the world seem more accessible, even though, yes, more dangerous, so to speak, but more accessible because we could uh, relate to people more directly that we could never do before. Yeah. Uh, you've talked a little bit about some of the programs. Uh, could you just very quickly do a review and, and run down the list of all the programs that you have at yeah. Global Minnesota? I think that'd be great for our listeners. Yeah. Know. Well, so we, we work in classrooms statewide. Typically, it's sort of kindergarten through eighth grade. Um, but what we do is international students at various universities and colleges are programmed into classrooms. And, of course, during Zoom, that was, you know, 
during the COVID, it was by Zoom, but basically going into the classroom and sharing their life experience as a way of staging cultural understanding. You know, what is it like to have a 12-year-old birthday party in Argentina, for example? <laughs> and so this uh, classroom connections is uh, part of what we do that connects international students with our community and connects our students. And now increasingly our schools are have more students from other countries or other experiences. So there's some uh, sharing in that way. In the high school range, we work with um, teachers and students very, very much now statewide on something called Academic World Quest. Mm. There's a national competition. It's sort of trivia about world and global affairs. Kids are study all year long. It's very competitive. It's like, you know, because the winners get to fly to Washington and compete nationally. And it's uh, so anyhow, uh, we figured out how to do that over Zoom. Now we're trying to do it back uh, in person and hybrid. Uh, But that's with our high school age kids. And so that's an education component. Then there's the great decisions, which you referenced earlier, which are really I would say adult organizations that are self-organized around the state to take on these topics that come up. And there are speakers. We have a speakers bureau like yourself and others. Uh, And then there's videos. So that's the second. A third one is that we work very directly with our corporate members who are interested in certain subjects or certain regions. And also they bring certain expertise. And sometimes that's like where we partner with a lot of our companies employee resource groups on things like Hispanic Heritage Month, or there was a a major regional Hispanic leadership um, summit, uh, which we were part of. So we work with those members. We have our public education programs that are uh, essentially a speaker or perhaps a panel. Those happen either in a sort of noontime slot or evening slot, but they're recorded they're in the archive and we do those sometimes in a really specific way with our members. We call those lunch and learns and they're really to be like, for example, we're having a lunch and learn this week with some of those Mandela fellows from around uh, different parts of Africa to sort of give people an insight into, well, what's that program and what do they do and, and how do they come to be in Minnesota? And we will also use those programs sometimes when we have an opportunity, for instance, Minnesota has been uh, blessed over the past few months with many very high level representatives, the president, prime minister, and the leadership of Latvia here because of a huge cultural festival or the ambassador from Romania wanting Minnesotans to know how they were involved in so many of the people fleeing from Ukraine or uh, this week, the ambassadors here from Slovenia and, and I'll be meeting with him. And so we are often a touch point where somebody says, I'm going to be in Minnesota for X, Y, or Z reason. Um, and I'd like to meet with, uh, for example, a, a delegations coming from the American Chamber of Commerce of the Democratic Republic of Congo, the 28th of July. They're going to be in Washington. They're going to San Francisco. We've talk, got them to be stopping here for a day. They're very interested in partnering with companies that are in Minnesota who help with electrical generation. And that's actually a big growing field. 
with mining and mining equipment, which is, of course, a big thing in our state. They're also very interested in agriculture. They have 88, I think it's million hectares of land undeveloped, and they want to see, and I think actually they're going to come back for Farm Fest after their San Francisco. So that's a program that's really about connecting when somebody is coming and they want to connect with an institution, a company, a cultural group will help them do that. And then finally, we have a lot of focus on our specific uh, responsibilities with the State Department visitors, because there's about, you know, depends on the year, four to 5,000. But basically, the State Department, through their partners in Washington, says, hey, we have a group coming, let's say, from Europe, and they're interested. They're women entrepreneurs. And so then we say, hey, they would like Minnesota because we have so many interesting women entrepreneurs. Here are our IDs. So there's a team that handles all of those, and there's also a team that is working on the connection point with those international students um, there. And then the final uh, kind of component that we think about all the time is our, our members, We have thousands of people who get our newsletters and stuff, but there's a few thousand people who really contribute the money that make it possible for us to offer these programs essentially free of charge locally and globally. And uh, those members are people who somewhere in their lives, something touched them that said, I want to be more knowledgeable about the world and I want to be engaged in making that world a better place, a safer place, um, uh, a more Uh, peaceful and more environmentally safe place and so those you know those members have our um, uh, appreciation but they also get newsletters about all kinds of things available and then on Fridays they get a fabulous very interesting little global newsletter that we do that people love called Global Connect that you know people uh, stop me on the street literally and say oh I love that Friday newsletter (laughs) I do want to ask you a little bit more about your membership and the business model uh, in a minute. Uh, for our audience, you're listening to KYMN Radio, AM 1080 and FM 95.1. We're broadcasting out of Northfield, Minnesota. This is National Security This Week, and I'm your host, John Olson. Our guest today is Mark Ritchie, president of the Minneapolis-based nonprofit Global Minnesota, which educates citizens on the importance of foreign affairs. Uh, so, Mark, let's talk a little bit about the business model. The organization is a nonprofit. That means you're supported by members and, and by corporate philanthropy. Which companies directly support Global Minnesota on a regular basis, and why is it so important that those companies support your mission? Well, so, you know, we have about 50 companies in big and small. Some of the bigger ones, the ones that people would know, like Cargill and 3M and Medtronic and United Health Group and, uh, you know, uh, General Mills. These are ones that historically benefited from having um, leaders and influential people from other countries who come to Minnesota and then they go, oh, I didn't know 3M was here. And then they go out and visit and they so I didn't know 3M did all of this. Uh, and some of those really early connection points came directly because in Global Minnesota's role of hosting visitors from other countries, we would be contacting and bringing those visitors to Medtronic or to 3M. And so they could see that those connections were leading to business opportunities and actually, uh, in some cases, very significant expansion. So there was an interest. In the early days, it also was just part of wanting Minnesota to be known and recognized globally. 
they, you know, we all used to have the same joke, you know, <laughs> nobody knows about Minnesota, but once they come here, you can't get rid of them, you know. <laughs> and so Global Minnesota was bringing and still does four or five hundred very influential people from overseas every year via the State Department. And sometimes it would be large gatherings. For example, um, we are often asked to host the national meetings of the Fulbright Fellows. Mm. One year we hosted twice. Once the topic was uh, World Food and Cargill and others. And the second one was on rural development. We came down to Northfield because, in fact, in Northfield there's um, immigrant farming and training programs going on. There's a big uh, diplomatic community and retired. I mean, Northfield has a special set of relationships and then Owatonna and other cities near it. So we're able to use our, I would say, connective activity to then be a benefit. I now also think that um, a number of the schools and universities, for example, we're very close and work closely with one of our corporate sponsors, St. Cloud State University, mm -hmm. who has recently created a center for international disability advocacy and diplomacy. And we partner with them because they bring in particularly people that are deaf from many countries around the world and are integrating them in both their university program, but also in things like American Sign Language and other sign languages. And so we find that corporate and, you know, nonprofits and for-profits, but institutions join uh, Global Minnesota because they benefit from the connectivity points and the, I would say the worldwide networking. And so people will contact us and say, um, you know, we're planning a conference on this. Do you have suggestions of speakers who, uh, you know, who would uh, bring, a, let's say, a broader perspective? And so we're, I think, valuable. But one thing about our business model is that we are very diverse in all the different segments because the world can change. And yeah. so we... <laughs> have a gala each year and we just had our gala and we met our goal but oh, for okay. two years you know we couldn't hold a gala um we host these visitors from washington but if you can't move around with covid you you know there's a a, a real and we have the kind of board of directors extremely active that said when covid hit the team at global minnesota has excellent ideas of how to use technology and to really transform the organization, they can't be worrying that they're just not going to have any money in the bank. And so one of the board members um, uh, who is uh, uh, from the, the food side of the industries, but he said, um, what I want to propose is a champions campaign and have every board member essentially double their contribution this year so match whatever they were normally giving so that the staff at global minnesota could keep moving forward and keep advancing and so that kind of special response to a challenge and opportunity is a reflection of the kind of devotion that people have who are on the board and who um you know really are actively involved in the process and that's because over the 70 years it's been an organization of the community and by the community and for the community and so um, i think there's a special history it's what attracted me 
in the beginning that is reflected in a devotion and a contribution to, um, let's say, the budget or to the financial strength of the organization that is both steady and, when necessary, is really reinforced. COVID happening to be a quite a unusual circumstance. Right, let's put right, it that right. way. Uh, Mark, can you tell us about what what kind of programs Global Minnesota has lined up for the next few months? Uh, programs our listeners should know about, where, and where can they find out more information about those programs or register to attend? Yeah, so going to the um, Global Minnesota website uh, can do three things. Number one, you can just add your name to the list, and then you'll get the Wednesday newsletter that tells you what's coming and the Friday newsletter, which will thrill you and make you laugh and really you'll think it's marvelous. Second, you can go and look at the events calendar and you can see what's coming. I'll come back to that. But third, you can go to the YouTube channel and see all the programs that have happened. And so I, I strongly encourage all three of these, but in terms of events that are coming up and I, um, I'm aware that, you know, this will run and, and people will hear it. But um, but just to give you a for instance, um, last night we partnered with one of our really great friends, uh, Theater of Public Policy, which is a improv group, to tackle heavy-duty foreign policy issues, but with an improv style. And so we'll <laughs> be looking to do more of that, and people can see that on on the calendar. And we sometimes partner with another of the organizations in our community to do that kind of, I would say, theater and cultural work. And coming up is one of our uh, kind of reinvigorated cultural activities. In the past, we would do culture through cuisine. We'd take over a restaurant, a, you know, a, a German restaurant, a Japanese restaurant, an Ethiopian restaurant. This uh, week, next week, is the first of our restart after COVID, and we're going to Owamni, oh, the nation's right. number one restaurant, a yeah. new Native American restaurant um, uh, created by good friends of Global Minnesota. And uh, so, you know, it, it's actually, it's one of the few things where a member who contributes financially gets first dib, but that's coming up uh, right away. We're also um, uh, doing our lunch and learn with Mandela Fellow. So there'll be four or five of the leaders from uh, all over Africa that'll be part of that process. And then we're doing a series of um, what I call uh, book, uh, you know, um, book groups. So we typically will take a book about a foreign policy topic that's coming out or is already out. And so the ones that I'm working on to get aligned. One is um, the two women from the Foreign Ministry of Colombia who were the ones who really created and pushed and brought to life what we call the Sustainable Development Goals. Mm -hmm. So there are 17 goals, uh, of which Sustainable Development Goal number three is about health and wellness, and that's actually the theme that we're using to attract, to bring the world uh, world's fair to Minnesota, hopefully in 2027. And I, do, I do two, want to ask you about that at the end of our show. Yeah. So, <laughs> so the two authors of that book, uh, it just came out this week and we've had the, one of the authors, Paula Cabello on before, but we're going to have those two back as part of 
a bigger discussion about their book because they wrote it about the genesis uh, genesis of that activity. Um, I I've, can see that on the list there are also just other foreign policy matters um, that will come up again. We will, in fact, be going through a series of gatherings because we have so many ambassadors coming. And so we're making arrangements with those ambassadors so that we can either do them like at a time that's convenient, like a noontime or first thing in the evening, or film them, record them, digitally record them, and then broadcast those because sometimes um, their timing has to be, you know, super early in the morning because they've got a day of a day, a day of study. So we'll do that with the American Chamber from the Democratic Republic of Congo on the 28th. There'll be a series of meetings with different sectors. And so that there may be uh, people hearing the show um, who are interested in connecting with that very large and in Minnesota, a growing diaspora community. Mm -hmm. Every last Friday of each month, we partner with Minnesota Africans United, which is the council of all the different Africa diaspora groups, to take Minnesota and one specific country to talk about what trade investment is going on both ways now and what might happen. And so we typically get people from the U.S. Embassy in the nation's capital, uh, the first lady, the trade minister, sometimes the prime minister, and people from Minnesota who are successfully. And so we've done Malawi, Zambia, Ghana. Um, coming up this month, uh, the last month, will be Democratic Republic of Congo. And those lead to trade missions. So there's one trade mission that right this minute is in Accra and Ghana and will go on to Cameroon. But there'll be one then in the end of September that'll go Kenya and then Tanzania. Okay. And so... Um, so those trade missions are also open to the public, um, and they're especially um, tailored to sort of the things that Minnesota's, I would say, expertise is quite well known, you know, medical and agriculture and forestry and mining and, and um, uh, information technology, you know, the kinds of things that we do. All of these get stacked in that events um, calendar page, and you can, you know, follow those along. But again, if you miss one, it's always there in the archive, and there's an incredible archive of very interesting things. And you can get on the mailing list, and it will send you every Wednesday the full list of, of all things coming up. And, of course, if you're on there and you're motivated by what you see, please do join us as a member. We are uh, especially grateful to people from Minnesota, but also from the whole planet uh, who support us to make sure that we can keep doing what we're doing and make it available free to the public. So, Mark, we're, we're kind of closing in towards the end of our show. Uh, we're in the, the, the bottom quarter. Uh, I do want to ask you about the World Expo, uh, but before I do that, I want to give you a chance to talk uh, anything else you want to tell our listeners about Global Minnesota, maybe the people who work there, uh, you know, what, what's coming next for the organization. Yeah, I mean, I think one of the things I want to say about the organization is that it has, um, over the years, attracted really some of the finest of our young leaders who then you know, really do bring the energy and the connectivity points, whether 
it's because they're from another country like Nigeria or Ghana, or it's because they've had a life experience that allowed them a chance to live overseas. But they just bring a passion for both the mission of advancing understanding and the mission of engagement and put those pieces together. I have been a great beneficiary of this because it has meant that, um, you know, I was a statewide elected official, so I was getting to know my state very deeply. But at the same time, my state was becoming more and more international all the time. Northfield is just one example, but I mean, pick any town, pick Worthington and pick any town and you'll see that the world is coming to us. And so um, uh, this aspect is the aspect of global Minnesota, which is when the connection really feels like a two way street, then you know that a relationship is being developed and, and, and being deepened. And, um, and I think that's, um, Global Minnesota has attracted uh, a young staff that has that deep in their bones and probably in their genes because they find new ways to make that connectivity happen every day of the week. Yeah. So I want to ask that one last question. This one's not centered on Global Minnesota per se, but certainly Global Minnesota will have a role to play. Uh, I noted in my introduction that you've been working with a coalition of uh, public and private partners uh, to bring a World Expo to Minnesota. What What is a modern-day World Expo, and why is it so important we bring one to our state? Thank you. Well, modern-day expos are in two sizes and shapes, so that's important to know. Um, on the zero and five years, so every five years, 2010, 2015, 2020, they are very large, let's say a thousand acres, sort of how you imagine lots of uh, pavilions. They're six months long and they're kind of general. So we just finished up one. Dubai hosted a fantastic um, World Expo. Uh, it had to be postponed by a year. So it just ended up at the end of March. Um, and their theme was Connecting Minds, Creating the Future, which they chose that theme 10 years ago. But in a time of COVID and time of Zoom, it was sort of <laughs> an appropriate theme. And in between those six-month versions, there's a three-month version that's compact in size, typically about 60 acres, 50 to 60 acres. So think small. And it's three months. So think summer. And it has to have, by, by definition, a very specific topic. So the one that had been in Yoshu, Korea, was on Save the Oceans. The one that was in Astana, Kazakhstan, was about future alternative energy. In Minnesota, the public-private partnership that really is now 10 years old chose very early on at the first uh, the suggestion of, of uh, Marilyn Carlson Nelson, who at that time was serving as, I believe, board chair of the Mayo trustees. And she said, it shouldn't it just be health and wellness? I mean, that's what we're known for in many ways. We keep ourselves healthy through our hiking and our parks. You know, we have alternative medicine and traditional. We have uh, mental health and treatment for addiction is very important with Betty Ford and, and Hazelden. We have Mayo, University of Minnesota. And so that um, choice of that specific topic turned out to be a very fortuitous for two reasons. One is the rest of the world said, yes, 
that is a universal theme. So that's an important aspect of an expo should really should be universal in its uh, interest, its attractiveness. And um, we chose to link it to the UN Sustainable Development Goal number three, good health and well-being for all at all ages. Now, it also turns out that there was a COVID. I don't know if you remember that COVID, but all of a sudden, <laughs> the world said, wait a minute, we're all connected, like it or not. Right. And so, um, so that uh, expo uh, that we're planning, and we hope to be uh, chosen to host it, um, includes the notion that people will share from each country their vision. So... Everybody had to do a lot of innovation during this COVID period, partly because our trade flows were just disrupted. People had to invent their own way of approaching ventilators and, and amazing inventions happened everywhere. So we're planning on the topic, health and wellness, being very widely defined, how we take care of ourselves and all of that. But also, this is in the, the context of the business plan, we know that the Dubai Expo was postponed a year, as was the Tokyo Olympics. We also know that one of the world expos is called the Specialized, but the one in Argentina got wiped out by COVID. So Dubai showed us how to adapt to a very, very exciting and very uh, stimulating and very creatively developed online presence, including creating um, online virtual tours of all the pavilions that like our kindergarten and pre-kindergarten teachers up in Blaine figured out how their kindergartners could, could explore the whole expo of Dubai right in their classroom. So we know that we're not in charge of the pandemic or the virus. We know that inviting people to come to Minnesota is really important because then they see in Minnesota and all of that. But we also know that we need to have this, combination of an online presence and an in-person experience that's dramatic and creative and fun and all of that. And I believe that we're working towards, we use this word hybrid a lot, um, a diverse access, a expo that makes sure everybody can participate. One of the, the woman who was in charge of this digital part of the Dubai Expo said to me, think about the 8 billion people who won't be able to come to Minnesota. How can Minnesota reach and inspire them? How can the world coming together in one place? You know, it's a little upside down right now, and it's not just COVID, no. but the wars and all of this. So can an expo bring the world together and can it be shared in a way now that the inspiration that could come walking through the gates, I was 12, we walked through the gates of the New York World's Fair and there was driverless cars and there was, you know, video phone. Can inspiration like these kids in this preschool class up in Circle Pines and in, in, in Blaine area, can we make that available to the eight plus billion who can't come and can we get the people who do come to really enjoy and appreciate and like organized kindness, like the women who were the founders of Global Minnesota were thinking, make sure that they feel very welcomed, supported. And so when they go home, they go home not only as friends, but partners in making the world a safer place. Yeah. So that's a 2027 World Expo. Is that right? 
Summer. Summer. Mother's okay. Day through the middle of August. Yes. And, and have we been awarded that opportunity or that decision is still to be made? That decision will happen about one month shy of one year from now. Normally, okay. the last week of May, the first week of June, All right. uh, one year from now. So well, keep we're working on it. Working keep it. Working. <laughs> we're working it. Yes, sir. Great. Unfortunately, Mark, we've come to the end of today's uh, edition of National Security This Week. Mark Ritchie, president of Global Minnesota, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you so much, and thank you for doing this program week after week. It's the most important topic, whether it's this week or next. Thank you for doing this. Uh, Mark, could you tell our listeners one more time where they can find more information about Global Minnesota, the website? www.globalminnesota.org. Perfect. And that closes this week's edition of National Security This Week. We're on KYMN Radio, AM 1080 and FM 95.1. I'm your host, John Olson. Thank you for joining us today. Look forward to sharing time with you again next Wednesday morning at 9 a.m. Thank you for being a listener to National Security This Week here on KYMN Radio. Have a great finish to your week, everybody. Take care. You've been listening to National Security This Week, a weekly show looking into issues of American national security with the host, John Olson. Listen every Wednesday at 9 a.m. for National Security This Week.